Our text this morning is Luke chapter 23, verses 26 through 43. Luke 23, 26 through 43. And as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, Father, I pray that your spirit would move, that hearts would grasp what is recorded in this word about Christ carrying our sin to the cross the pinnacle of all of history. Father, I pray that your spirit would help us this morning. Father, that you would work in the hearts of not just the adults, but the children. Father, that you might uh, save, that you might encourage and strengthen faith. Father, that you would bring about repentance. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We've come to the pinnacle of all of history at this point in Luke. 
Everything in the Old Testament is pointing forward to the Son of God, the Christ, the Son of Abraham, and the Son of David, to the suffering servant, the one who would save his people from their sins. It's all been looking forward to this moment. All the prophecies have been driving towards the text that lays before us. And a million years from now, in eternity, we will be looking back at this. Never do I feel more inadequate to want to make the pinnacle the pinnacle and have our eyes see all that we should see when we come here. And so I pray, and I've been praying this week that the Spirit would do that work. A work that I can't do. Only a work the Spirit can do through the Word and people's hearts. And it's my prayer this morning that you would see Christ. That you would see Christ. That you would see His glory more than you've seen it before. And that your faith would be strengthened and that some of you would be saved if, if you've come here this morning dead in your trespasses and sins that the Lord might work. We get to this moment not by mere chance. The Scripture says the exact opposite of that. If you were to turn on the History Channel and watch scholars talk about Jesus, they often talk about a man who got a little too carried away and ended up getting himself killed. He was a good teacher, but he didn't know when to stop, and he pressed too hard, and he ended up dying. Well, those are scholars that have rejected the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture because they would get none of that from the Bible. In fact, at Jesus' uh, uh, when the angel came and talked to Mary, Jesus' mother, and she was told she would bear a son. Here's what she was told. She'll, this is Matthew one twenty one. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the point of the Incarnation. That's why God took on flesh. In Mark 10.45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. And all throughout Luke, in Luke 9.22, He clearly states what's coming. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And in Luke 9.30, he says, and behold, uh, two men were walking with him, Moses and Elijah. This is on the Mount of Transfiguration, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, 
which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. When Moses and Elijah meet him on the mountain, they're talking about the departure. They're talking about the pinnacle of all of history. How can Moses be saved? How can Elijah be saved? It's because of what's about to happen. In Luke 12.50, Jesus said, I have a baptism to be baptized with And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. It's a baptism into the wrath of God for the sin of the world. And then in Luke 13, 32, he said to them, as they heard Herod was coming after him, go tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform curses today and tomorrow and the third day. I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. And in Luke 17, verse 24, as he's speaking of his second coming, he says this, uh, And taking the twelve, he said, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he'll be delivered over to the Gentiles and be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they'll kill him, and on the third day he'll rise. I'm sorry, I read Luke 18. I got ahead of myself. Luke 17, where he's talking about his second coming, he says, In verse 24, for as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so the Son of Man will be in his day, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. And Luke 22, 22, he says, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And then in verse 37 of Luke 22, he says, I tell you that scripture must be fulfilled in me. And then he quotes uh, the Old Testament and he was numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. So it's crazy to read this account and think that Jesus got a little out of hand and he got himself in a situation he can't handle anymore and he's about to be put to death. This has been God's plan. In fact, there's a book that was written before the foundation of the world that's the book of the Lamb who was slain. And so this is the culmination of all things. Everyone in this room, your life will be determined by what you do with Jesus Christ. The pinnacle of history is Christ on the cross. We're going to see in this account many people doing different things with Jesus Christ. And the question at the end of all of it is what will you do with Him? What will you do with Christ? 
And the charge of this message is desperately throw yourself upon the mercy and grace of Christ the King. You might say, well, that's that's pretty emotional language. Desperately throw yourself upon the mercy and grace of Christ. And I'm here to attest to you, if you've never seen your desperate circumstances and you've never thrown yourself upon Christ, you're not saved. You don't just decide to make a partnership with Christ. You see yourself as you truly are and as He truly is and in the right and and determined rightly of your predicament. And when you do that, anyone who is saved, it could only be described as desperately throwing yourself upon the mercy and grace of Christ as we will see a man do in this text. One of the most unlikely men Maybe you're here today thinking God can save almost anyone but me. Well, this text will challenge you this morning. And so let's look at it. First, we're going to see a picture of a follower of Christ. We're going to see a lot of people in this account. We're going to start with Simon of Cyrene. Let me just list the people just so you can look for their reaction though. We're going to see Simon of Cyrene. We're going to see a multitude of women and people mourning for Jesus. We're going to see two criminals crucified on each side of him. We're going to see Roman soldiers that crucify him. We're going to uh, see Roman soldiers casting lot for his clothing. We're going to see people watching. We're going to see rulers scoffing. We're going to see soldiers mocking. And then at the end, we're going to see two criminals and their interaction with Christ. But it starts in verse 26 where we read, and as they led him away, they need to go out of Jerusalem. The lamb needs to be sacrificed outside the city. They seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming from the country, coming into the city, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. It looks like mere chance. Likely, The cross needed to be carried because Jesus was almost killed in the scourging and was beaten so badly that he couldn't bear the cross. That's likely why they needed Simon to carry Christ's cross behind Jesus. The Romans would never carry the cross. The Romans would never be found, at least in public, carrying a cross. Nothing could carry more shame than being seen in a crowd carrying a cross of crucifixion. Verse 
But the Roman soldiers were the law of the land and they could command anyone to do anything they wanted and they would need to do it. And so they grab Simon of Cyrene. Now it's interesting, it really seems like from the scripture that Simon gets saved, becomes a believer, carries his cross to the Golgotha, to the place of the skull where he'll be crucified and surely watched what happened. In fact, Mark tells us in Mark 15, 21, it says, and they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. So he had two children that Mark's readers would know about called Alexander and Rufus. And so it's likely that he became a follower and had children. In fact, in Romans 16, 13, we read, greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and also his mother, which would be Simon's wife. And uh, so as we see a man that has an encounter with Christ that follows behind and watches his suffering, in a sense, when we read this text, we all follow behind. We all are watching what is about to take place. And whether he became a believer or not, even, even in Acts, we're, we're finding these believers from Cyrene. Acts 11.19 says, Men from Cyprus and Cyrene who were coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also. And in Acts 13, uh, we're told of uh, uh, leaders in the church of Antioch, uh, Lucius of Cyrene. So maybe he went and was a key leader there. But the picture, at least for Luke, I think is undeniable. Back in Luke 9.23, he quotes Jesus and he says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses and forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in His glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Take up your cross and follow behind Me. Be marked off as a follower of Me and carry the shame. Don't be ashamed to be marked off. To be a follower of Jesus Christ is to be an alien in this world. This world can't understand you. What you're trying to put to death in your life, they're trying to ignite and bring about. As they're trying to find life in things and prestige and in the lust of the flesh, we're trying to find life in Christ and put to death those things in us. 
And this world will shame you. And so to be a follower of Christ, if you fit right in with the world and you look exactly the same, you just say, yeah, I'm religious. I have faith. Well, then have you, have you really denied yourself, taken up your cross? Have you been ashamed of his words? Have you really spoken and, and declared the foolishness of the gospel, which rather than presenting yourself as good in front of this world, you're presenting yourself as not only not good, but deserving of hell. Deserving of the wrath of God. And so we see an a illustration or a picture in this scenario of a true follower of Christ. You even can see election. Unless the Father draws him, no one can come to me. It's not ch- by chance Simon gets grabbed. He wasn't looking for Jesus. And yet he was plucked up. He was shown the crucifixion of Christ. And I guess one day we'll find out if it is in fact his uh, wife and children that also were saved. But we have a picture of uh, the follower of Christ. Second, let's look at the judgment of Christ. And there followed him a great multitude of the people. So there's a group of people. And of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Now, they had professional mourners in those days whenever someone died or for a funeral. uh, Women often were hired and they would mourn and they would wail for the deceased. And this could describe them. I don't think anything in the text would have us uh, lean uh, necessarily into that for Jesus had the sympathy of a lot of people. And, And in fact, never in the scripture is there recorded a woman who rails at Jesus or opposes him to his face. And and we have men uh, recorded doing that. And that's not saying women aren't sinful. They are. But the Bible would give us no reason to lean into the idea that there wouldn't be those who have listened to Christ's teaching and have been sympathetic to him. But here we see Jesus respond in an interesting way. But turning to them, he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Jesus is not looking for sympathy like you and I often are. When we're suffering, it's what we want Jesus sees with crystal clear eyes reality. And he says, you guys look at me and you pity me. You see how I'm like hamburger after being scourged, barely alive, going to a cross. 
in your weeping and your mourning for me. Yet with my eyes, as I look out at you, I feel more sorry for you. Weep for yourselves. Weep for yourselves. This is Christ. Not being seen merely as one judged to die, but even as he's dying and going to a cross, he's judging. This is a pronouncement of judgment that he's already declared throughout the gospel on Jerusalem. There will be the destruction of Jerusalem because they've rejected his Christ. And then he says this, For behold, the days are coming when they'll say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed, which they couldn't fathom. There was no greater shame for a woman in those days than to be barren. You read the Old Testament and the shame barren women felt in Israel. And he says, weep for yourselves for in those days you'll count the blessed one, the ones, the women with no children, the barren ones. The suffering will be so great. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and the hills to cover us. And here he quotes Hosea 10.8, which is uh, Hosea warning about the destruction coming from Assyria to the capital, capital city of Samaria in those days. And Jesus is grabbing that language, saying this is how the destruction is going to be. It's going to be so bad that you're going to look at creation and you would rather have big boulders and rocks fall on you and crush you then face the judgment of God on Jerusalem at that time. And obviously, that is a mere type or picture of the greatest judgment that will come when Christ returns. When we read in Revelation 6 that they'll be calling for rocks to crush them rather than face the wrath of the Lamb. And so Jesus looks out and he says, don't weep for me, weep for yourself. Sinner, have you wept for yourself? Have you looked inside and found yourself so bankrupt, so rebellious against God? The Bible says you're a hater of God. There's none that's good. There's no one who's done right. All of us have become worthless, Romans 3 says. No one fears God. Has that been you or is that just other sinners? Have you always been pretty good and you just hitched your ride to Jesus? Jesus says, weep for yourselves. This atrocity, this sham trial, this is the greatest injustice that's ever been done on this earth, will not go without judgment. Those who reject the Son will be judged. And 
Jerusalem as a city and Israel as a nation was judged, trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the very end, until the Gentiles uh, coming to Christ is complete. But the question comes right back to us. What will we do with him? What will you do with the son? Will you do what the rulers of Israel did with Christ or not? And then we see in verse 41, Jesus gives them a a riddle in a sense. He says, for if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Well, I read and read and read, and the key to interpreting this is who is they? In this text, if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? And some say, well, this they actually refers to God, the the Trinity. If they, if God pours out his wrath on Christ and Christ willingly dies as a perfect human being, what will happen to sinners? Some say, well, this is the leaders in Israel, but I think it makes sense in the context to see they being the Romans. And the idea is this, if the Romans found Jesus innocent and still sent him to a cross to crucify him, What will the Romans do? Now, Jesus is innocent. He's not an insurrectionist. He heals and he does good and he doesn't break the laws and the Romans are going to kill him. He's like green wood that's tough to burn. But if the Romans even burn him, what are they going to do to you? Dry wood insurrectionists of heart. Pilate hates the position the leadership in Rome put him in. And so he's saying, if you think it's bad now, what's happening to me, what do you think it's going to look like in about 35 years when the wood is dry And they come and unleash their wrath on you. And so this is Christ speaking judgment, which is kind and loving to tell the truth. This is why a gospel preacher will never be palatable to the world because The gospel requires telling truth to people and you can't let people keep their dignity in their sin. They have to see themselves as they really are and Christ does not spare the people. The reality of the situation and the reality of the horror of rebellion against Christ Third, C, 
see the mercy and grace of Christ. Look at verse 32. Two others were criminals. Our two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. Now, maybe it was Barabbas that was supposed to be on the third cross and and they might have been there witnessing the whole trial. Uh, They all could have been insurrectionists together. They're criminals. Uh, They're thieves or robbers. The text describes them as, but whatever they did, it deserves a capital punishment by crucifixion. And it says in verse 33, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they were crucified. Or they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Here we see Christ. Here's where we just have to admit we're sinful and Christ is not. When someone takes a nail and hammers it through your hand into wood after being beaten, I don't think the impulse of your heart is going to bring words out of your mouth that says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Unless the Spirit of God is in them. This is actually why the nails are being nailed in. To win salvation for the worst of sinners. If Christ is praying for the salvation of the ones crucifying him, can you be saved? Can Christ save a sinner like you? He can. And we get to see, as you read the book of Acts, this prayer get answered for many. 3,000 were saved at Pentecost. 3,000 people were saved at Pentecost. The Roman centurion and his guards said, surely this is the Son of God. The ones crucifying him at the end of this are confessing Christ. Does this mean that a person can be saved without repentance and faith? No. But do we not pray that those who are blind in their sin would come to see and be saved? And so we see the heart of Christ here. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then Stephen, a mere man, a sinful man, filled with the Spirit, when he's being stoned to death, what does he say? Father, for in Acts 7.59, as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. What kind of change must take place in a person's heart that that is your response to those who are not only persecuting you, but killing you? And so we see the mercy and grace of Christ. 
And then he says, and then it says, and they cast lots to divide his garments. The Son of God is dying for their sins, and they're trying to figure out how much money they can get out of his clothing as Jesus is hanging naked on a cross. The rich young ruler did this with Christ. Judas did this with Christ. They're at the pinnacle of all of history. God in the flesh is paying the price for sinners. And they're trying to figure out who's going to get the clothing that they'll be able to, that'll be worth money since he's a famous prophet in Israel. Let's just admit, sin is ugly, isn't it? It's not just making a mistake. It's rebellion at the core. And this was prophesied, by the way, in Psalm 22. uh, Verse 16, a thousand years before Christ was ever born, David's, through the Holy Spirit's prophesying what will happen here, We read in verse 16, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, and they pierce my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's from the Psalms. And then we read in verse 35, The people stood by watching. So here's the people. The crowd, they're watching. They're seeing what happens. Likely they've seen the miracles. They've heard the teaching. They're watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. You can almost hear as Christ is displaying his sinless beauty on the cross, saying, Father, forgive them, you can almost hear the guilt in their charge. Well, if he's a king, he saved others, let him save himself. He can do it now. And I got to imagine if you're there and you're one of the bystanders, you're watching, you were hoping he was going to be the Christ, but he didn't overthrow Jerusalem. He went and overthrew your temple. And so you're kind of upset, but you've seen the miracles and you're watching and they're mocking. He saved others. Let him save himself. You would be sitting there probably saying, is he going to come down? Is he going to come off the cross? Lazarus, he just raised from the dead a week ago. Is he really going to die? So you can imagine the anticipation to see what is going to happen by the people. But the ruler scoffed. Their scoffing was a sense of had to have been defending themselves because he's there because of their demand from a human perspective, and he's there because God wants him there, because Christ wants to be there. And then we read, uh, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
You know, he has the inscription, King of the Jews, above him. Maybe they're starting to feel guilt. Maybe they're saying, okay, prove us wrong. <laughs> prove us wrong. Mark tells us in Mark 15, 32, the ruler said, let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. The two criminals start the day reviling Christ on this cross. The soldiers are mocking him. There is also an inscription over him saying, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save us. You see his heart there, don't you? He's in pain. Life is ended bitter. He's being crucified as a savior. A man that says king of the Jews. People are saying he saved others. Save yourself and save us. You, you, you can see his heart. Is this not the heart of the unbeliever? Have you not run into these people? You might be one of these people. If there was a God, my life wouldn't have turned out like this. This wouldn't have happened to my relative. I wouldn't have lost this job. I wouldn't have done this. If God is real, he, you can hear that in his voice. As he looks at Christ, come on. If you're good, if you're really God, save us. We're told from the other gospels, only Luke tells us of the conversion of the other thief. They both started railing at him on the cross. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself, the one says. Verse 40 says, but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? What happened? What changed? Maybe it's the excruciating peril of hanging for hours and hours on the cross of life reflection. Maybe it's him watching Christ suffer the way Christ is suffering. Maybe he's listening to what the people are saying about him. You say you are a king. Maybe he saw miracles. But he's sitting there. And it isn't that surprising. One, one commentator said, not many people are converted on a soft couch. But it's when a person sees themselves and their weakness and their wretchedness rightly. And while he's on the cross, he's viewing himself. He begins viewing himself rightly. The Spirit of God would have had to give him new eyes, new understanding about himself. Do you not fear God 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, indeed, and we indeed justly uh, are, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our sins. He's saying we're dying. We're under condemnation rightly. We're sinners. This is what we deserve. See, if you're sitting there saying, my life has been a ripoff and I don't deserve this, you haven't been given spiritual glasses yet. You, you haven't seen right yet. The moment you sinned, you deserved eternal punishment in hell. That's what you deserve. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace is what unbelievers are given as they get time in this world. They get families. They get times of not being sick, most people. But he was given glasses to see that he deserved this condemnation justly. This is what we all deserve as sinners. And then what does he do? He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Is this not how, what, what happens when the lights get turned on? Oh, this is what I deserve. I justly stand condemned. Is there any hope? Here's Christ. Here's the Lord. I have nothing, no hope. I'm in a dire circumstance. Mere hours to live. I'm going to desperately throw myself upon the mercy and grace of Christ. The man who moments later, tell me how humbling this would be. You're railing at him. You're mocking him. And then the next minute, you're condemning your friend who you were just mocking him with and you're saying that was wrong. We deserve it. That's, that's being humble. And then, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This is incredible. This is incredible. Ever since Jesus has been turned over, everyone's mocking him as a king. The disciples have fled. They're all brokenhearted. They're scared to death. We know John's there, but we don't see him there as trusting in the resurrection. Nobody sees him as a king. Who could see this dying, beaten man as a king? And the most unlikely, a criminal condemned to death sees him as a king. Believes he has a kingdom. Which means he believes in the resurrection that would have to take place for Christ to be the king of the Jews. And so he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Just, just remember me. Don't forget about me. Is he asking for an invitation in? 
I think so, but he's, he, he doesn't even sound that bold. Remember me. And then Jesus does him better than that. Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. I won't just remember you, you'll be with me. You'll be in my presence. There's nothing better in this universe than being in the presence of God. And today, in a few hours, you are going to be with me. The criminal, he hasn't been baptized. He, he doesn't have a list of good works that he's done. He's merely recognized who he is and he's thrown himself on the mercy of Christ and Jesus says, today you'll be with me. And that thief had an advantage that maybe you don't have. Because if you guys don't realize that you are a dying thief, you could be gone in five minutes. You're not getting out of your death you're dying. You are going to face it, except yours is more hidden. You might feel like, I got time on my hands. At least I'm not hanging there. At least I don't have to make the decision now. Well, I hope you're not foolish enough to wait one moment longer than throwing yourself upon the mercy of Christ. The thief on the cross to say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Which means that purgatory is just garbage. There's no in-between time. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Purgatory is a time when you're under the judgment of God. Where you yourself got to pay for your sins. Here's my question. How long do you got to pay for sins against an eternal God? 500 years? A thousand years? You need the eternal Son of God to die in your place, period. That's yours and my only hope. Truly, today, He'll be with you. You'll be with me in paradise. And finally, the work of Christ. The question should be this. How can Christ bring a criminal into paradise, and the answer is, is because Christ is paying the punishment for his sins as they speak. That's how. You see, the whole Bible is about this. How can sinners who've been separated from a relationship with God and are under the condemnation of death, how can sinners ever be reconciled to God and God be just? Because if he brings you in, he loses his justice. But Jesus Christ on that cross is satisfying justice because your sins and my sins are being paid for so that God can justly find you and me and that thief on the cross not guilty and say, today you'll be with me in paradise, not on the basis of your works, but on the basis of his works. That is the gospel. And really this world is split 
represented by those two thieves. There's two types of people. One feels like he's getting ripped off by God. Doesn't see the goodness of God. Can't see the goodness of God. Can't see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then there's those who see their sin by the grace of God. The Holy Spirit came to convict of sin and then point us to righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. And then of judgment, that Christ is this King, that the whole world will be judged by Him. And what you do with Jesus Christ will determine your whole eternity. And so which one are you? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Are you being ripped off by God? Or have you seen the glory of Christ? And even if it meant your death today, does your heart have hope in a king whose kingdom will last forever? It's my prayer there'd be no one here that would reject Christ. Romans 4.3 says this, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as a due, are, are not counted as a gift, but as a due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Maybe you've come to this church for all 10 years and you viewed yourself as a good person, a good citizen. As you look around, I'm a good one. I don't ever remember being a bad one. I'm only a good one. And I wish other people could be good and believe right things like me. Well, to the one who works, you're going to get wages. But to the one who believes that God justifies the ungodly, that one will, um, to the one who does not work but believes in God who justifies the ungodly, his faith will be counted as righteousness. Father, I pray that we would see ourselves rightly, that we would weep for ourselves, that we would be broken, that we would see how worthy you are of us glorifying you with all of our lives and we fall so short and we're so sinful and we're so weak and we're so rebellious, Father, that we would see that, that we would hate that and that we would lose all hope in and of ourselves and we would throw ourselves on Christ. Father, would you save? Pray this in Christ's name, amen.